We back for real, and we black for real. Happy Thursday, kiddos. You're listening to The Intersection on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM Channel 80. My name is Clinton Yates. You know me as a columnist at The Undefeated. I also happen to be on a little program the kids call Around the Horn. Elle Duncan is, of course, our co-host. You know her from SportsCenter. She's also on various television programs. How are you today, Elle? I'm doing fantastic, Clinton Yates. Uh, happy to be uh, talking to you after a couple of weeks, man. Yeah, man, no doubt. Back in the fold. You know For those it. of you who were asking, we here. You want to give us a phone call, one 888 espn one 729 Joining us right now via the Shell Penzoa performance line is Aww. our friend Harry Aww, Lyles Jr. Sweet Harry. ESPN college football reporter. He has a new column out explaining why he was struck by the roundtable discussion and everything that has happened with college players recently because this is what he covers. Harold, how are you? I cannot believe I am on the radio with these two just absolutely wonderful people. Yeah, blah, blah. Whatever, I'm just saying, man. Sweet little Harry. I'm I'm turning (laughs) it over to L from here on out, yo, but thank you, brother, for showing up. Of course. I, the re- listen, I'm not disrespecting Harry. The reason, for those of you that are listening, Clinton knows the story well. The reason I say sweet little Harry whenever I see Harry is because Harry was like my intern in local news many, many moons ago. And Harry was like the 40-year-old that worked there's ladies' dream. Like he was adorable, clean cut. He wore like bow ties to work even though we had to be there at 3 o'clock in the morning. He was always chipper. He'd be like donuts for no reason. And he was just this like eager, earnest kid. And now he's like cool and part of the culture and like super smart and you know he's like so much cooler than I ever thought that he would end up being and I'm just so proud of you Harry because you've done amazing things but this is not about you well it is sort of about you it's at large about college football and and what you wrote about this week so what was your sort of take when you found out that at first Pac-12 was doing this and deciding to sort of use their collective voices and their clout to demand uh, not only protocols when it came to COVID, but social justice followed a couple of days later by the Big Ten. No, for sure. And uh, to go back to that, I, w- I do want to say this because I do think this is the show to actually do this on. To your point, L, when I was young, I think just like you were, Clinton, as well, like all of us were, it is, you know, you got to do X, Y, and Z to make sure that you're pleasing the white man. And I just decided to stop doing that. And now it's beautiful and I'm here and myself and I've got piercings <laughs> and both ears in my nose and it's great. Yes! Um, yes! Be you, boo! Yeah, so, <laughs> right. So, so all that said, I, I have unleashed just my full self and it's great. But yeah, so so kind of like with this, this Pac-12 stuff, man, like it, it's been a heck of a week. I, I mean, you know, we saw a lot of like smaller, you know, type of swings in terms of, you know, racial and social justice in college football. And then it's like we've got this thing where it's this this unified front. And of course, I believe it was like 12 players who had actually had their name on the document and they listed their demands and threatened to boycott and everything like that. But these guys have over 400 other players on a, on a group meet. Like, like this is a big, big movement. And, and these guys have the perfect blueprint for it because it's not just one player. It's not, you know, three or four players or one school. This is an entire conference going after one specific goal, right? And it would be one thing, and I mentioned this in the column, it would be one thing if they were just like, hey, we want equality, right? Because the big thing – with the Pac-12 players is like, hey, the bottom line for all of the things that we are asking for is racial justice because they did a wonderful job of tying what's going on with them to the way that black folks have been treated in the United States of America. And the way that they've done that is, 
again, they said we want equality, but it wasn't just that, right? Because if you say that, then the man is going to be like, oh, well, what do you mean? And then you're not going to get any results. These guys used headers. They used Roman. Like, they did everything and, and laid out very just beautifully everything that they wanted so they could leave no questions for the people that they are going to. And with the NCAA, the difference between the, these college athletes and pros, the only way that they can get what they want or at least get these guys to listen is if they don't play. And that was just the beautiful icing on the cake. And now that they've put all this pressure on these guys, they're having a meeting, I believe, right now as we speak. And, you know, we'll see what they get out of this. Harry Lyles Jr., ESPN College Football Reporter, joins us here on The Intersection on ESPN Radio. Clinton Yates, L. Duncan. Harry, you were on campus at Clemson when they did their little thing, and Lord knows how we all feel about Dabo and what he said in the past Mm -hmm. about Martin Luther King Jr. and what he feels about how he would quit if they ever got paid and all this other nonsense. So you saw something that was a turn of the tide. From what you've covered in in your life, how much of a jump has it been from what you reported then on SportsCenter to what you're seeing now in terms of what you expected and what you think has been effective? You know, it it seemed like there for a minute – that because you know especially with like all the stuff with the Clemson players it seemed like okay this really fits into like what even Dabo would be okay with right or the administration would be okay with or the school president like that really fit into a much nice neater thing that even like they could be like okay we can do this and then this will go away right and now it's like no 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 like we want everything like we were not playing when we said like we want equality like the Pac-12 players have clearly seen everything that has gone on across the country, even going to Oklahoma State with Mike Gundy wearing the OAN shirt and, and Chuba Hubbard, and we saw how quickly that changed, right? We had the hostage video. He apologized, and, you know, it, it just it fizzled away very quickly, right? And we haven't heard a word for out of Stillwater since. This is the thing where it's like, yo, you've got kids from Stanford, Cal, all the Pac-12 schools who are like, no, 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 no. Like, we're not getting ready to play underneath these conditions in coronavirus because it also affects us more so than it does any other race in America. And just these pay indiscrepancies and, and, you know, you can only sit around as a college athlete for so long. And, you know, in the PAC 12's instance, $530 million of revenue last year and be like, well, wait a second. So you're telling me not only am I not going to get a cut out of that, I have no medical or health insurance. We don't have good protocols that are clear across the conference for testing because we do have to play each other, you know, like a lot of people made a big deal about, well, they're only going to play a conference schedule. Da, 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 da. It's like, yeah, but I mean, you still have to deal with what 10 other institutions. So right. that's, it's just not the way that that works. So within all that, it was very easy to look at this and be like, well, nah, uh, we're not going to do this because we're risking our lives more so than ever because football is already a very you know dangerous game for absolutely nothing. And so I think what we're getting ready to see here, too, is, you know, we know how the NCAA and these schools work, man. Like, they're not going to really try to budge on the system. I, I, I would guess what we're getting ready to see is they're going to make a lot of the coronavirus things happen for these guys, a lot of the uh, racial equality things that they want to see met, like having committees and things of that nature are going to happen. And then they will tell these kids, hey, as soon as the football season is over, we'll get back to the drawing board and get you guys some of these other things. And it probably won't happen But the important part is now that they've got that blueprint, they know how they can get these guys back to the table when it is time to do that. 
You're listening to The Intersection. Clinton Yates, L. Duncan, Harry Lyles Jr. joining us on the Shell Pennzoil performance line. I do have to ask you, though, we're both born and bred in Georgia. Like, the SEC's got a lot of cachet. From what you're hearing, you're pretty plugged in. Is the SEC going to get involved at all? Are any of these players mobilizing? You know, it, it definitely varies across the country because I know, too, Marvin Wilson out of Florida State, obviously it's ACC, but, you know, in his case, you know, he spoke up against Mike Norville early, earlier this year because Norville had, you know, said that, with everything going on in the Black Lives Matter movement, he had texted or talked to each one of his individual players, and Wilson came out and said, well, that's not true. And since then, he's come up with his own charity and things like that. But he said today, like, hey, I'm not boycotting. Like, I came back to Florida State to play football. Like, I need this. You know, he could have gone pro last year, and now he's here. So, you know, it's, it's really going to vary. I, I know, too, that there are also some players in the Pac-12 who are not on board. Um, so it, it's kind of just – and we also, too, know, L right, SEC football, like, people live and breathe and die that down here, you know? Right. It's already that time of year where you're starting to see the flags pop up on all the cars, you know, coronavirus be damned, like, it's still happening. <laughs> and so, you know, I will say this, I, I do think that at some point, you know, it, things can only be so bad before everybody starts getting more brave, right? Like, we've seen the Big Ten, they didn't take quite the stance that the Pac-12 took, but they did say, hey, you guys got to come correct on coronavirus for us. So it's not out of the question to see something from the SEC. I know a lot of the Pac-12 players have talked to guys in that conference, and they are on board. It just kind of is a matter of like, hey, like what do we think we can or cannot get away with? And so I think unless we see more of a united front specifically for our section of the country, and I'm based out of Atlanta for those who hear me say our, but when you see that, that's when we might see something go through. But I think there's also kind of a waiting game to be like, okay, well, what are they actually going to get out of this? Yeah. He's Harry Lyles Jr. He's an ESPN college football reporter, and he's adorable. He's the cutest, <laughs> you guys. He's so cute. Thank Demon you, Harry. ladies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Harry, get back to Twitch. We appreciate your time. Love you, brother. I know. <laughs> Love you guys, man. Get back to All Twitch. Right. Coming up, is the NBA getting its social justice messaging across and is kneeling during the anthem still an effective tool? We'll talk about that next. It's the intersection on ESPN Radio. Harry's all grown up. I know. Stank face alert. You're listening to The Intersection on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. My name is Clinton Yates. Her name is L. Duncan. You want to give us a phone call, 1-888-SAY-ESPN, 1-888-729-3776. Or you can tweet us, at Clinton Yates and at L. Duncan ESPN. Question right now, is the NBA getting its social justice messaging across, L? And do you think kneeling during the anthem is still an effective tool? Now, before we get into that, we do want to hear the words of one LeBron Raymond James talking about how this is affecting everything, including the man at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue Northwest. I really don't think the basketball community um, um, are, are sad about losing uh, uh, his, his viewership and him viewing the, the game. Um, and um, I, that's all I got to say. I don't. I don't want to. I'm not going to get into a because uh, uh, I already know where this could go, where it could, could, could lead to for tomorrow for me. I'm not going to get into it, but um, I think uh, our, our game is in a, in, a, in, a, in a beautiful position and we have fans all over the world. And uh, our fans not only uh, love the way we play the game, we try to give it back to them with our commitment to the game, but also respect um, you know 
what else we try to bring to the game and acknowledging, you know, what's right and what's wrong, you know, and um, and I hope everyone, um, you know, no matter the race, no matter the color, no matter the size, would um, see uh, what, what what leadership that we have in our at the top in our country and uh, understand that that November um, is right around the corner and it's and it's a big moment for us as Americans. Um, if um, we, we continue to talk about what we want, you know, better, uh, we won't change. Uh, uh, we have an opportunity to do that. So, uh, but the game is um, the game will, will will go on without <laughs> without his eyes on it. Uh, I, I can sit here and speak for all of us that love the game of basketball. Uh, we could care less. That was LeBron <laughs> speaking about POTUS's tweet, saying that since he saw people kneeling, he wasn't going to be watching no more. L, your thoughts. Well, first of all, I can't imagine he was a big NBA fan. Sure. Um, in general, uh, you asked the question, uh, are they getting their social justice messaging across? I mean, I think certainly, right, from uh, some of the more symbolic measures like Black Lives Matter on the court and sort of the messages that they have uh, instead of their names on the top of their jerseys, how they're conducting their interviews. You know, I think they've done a really good job of sort of mixing in, breaking down uh you know, media availability to be some about basketball, but us about pushing initiatives, continuing to keep Brianna Taylor's name in the, uh, in the forefront. Um, in terms of kneeling, I mean, I would say it's effective because we had some really competitive basketball over the first few days. And meanwhile, all anybody was talking about over the weekend was kneeling and who was not kneeling and Jonathan Isaac's sort of word salad about why he wasn't kneeling and Myers Leonard and, you know, Popovich and Becky Hammond. So I think it was effective on that front. Um, I, I still, I still wonder if everyone had kneeled, if we would be having these conversations. But again, if you're talking about keeping the messaging at the forefront, then Certainly the, the fact that who didn't kneel and who did was a huge talker, I would say, meant that it's still a success. I mean, what do you think? I would agree with that. But you know my feeling on symbolism in terms of it's very difficult to ascertain what the effectiveness is in a short-term context because you never know what kid is watching or what person who is otherwise influenced in a way that wasn't like, I am sitting down to watch the NBA to learn about black America from athletes. You know, like there are some people who that's just going to sort of those messages are just going to sort of happen through communicative osmosis, for lack of a better term. And that's a big reason why I think the NBA is doing well. However, specifically regarding kneeling, I remember when this first happened, I got a text from a buddy that was like, I don't know, man, it feels a little bit choreographed. And my first answer was about daggone time they started choreographing something for us, you know? I understand that everything for a lot of people has to be revolutionary or somehow some sort of protest that is active and in your face and letting people know that we going to get this and we don't want that. That doesn't always have to be the case for me. If we are in a situation where regularly and necessarily different um, forms of you know public gatherings take the time out to recognize what it is we got to say about whatever it may be, I'm here for that level of normalization. I don't need everything to be the super blackity black whatever in order for me to feel that people are being affected in terms of who they are. We're going to talk to Mark Spears later from The Undefeated about this, but he wrote a story talking about how white dudes are rocking Black Lives Matter on the back of their jerseys. That ain't no easy sell, L. You know, it might seem easy, but that means something in their communities as well. And I just feel like if, for as much as we can ask for, perfection is not always the lone goal. We got to make some progress. And we are definitely making progress in that regard. And I like that. 
I, I, I would, I agree with you. You know how I, we we differ on how we view sort of symbolism, right? And I think yeah. that a lot of these symbolic measures are great, um, but they, you know, are they a don't bit do it hollow for you to me. The they way. just don't do it for me in terms of like they just feel a little bit hollow. I mean, I think that it's a beautiful thing to watch people sort of come together, especially after blackballing Colin Kaepernick to doing the same and finally coming to an, an understanding, if you will. I mean, there's still people that are always going to be on the, you know, the, you're disrespecting the military. Um, but I think that, you know, I, I get frustrated at times because I think that in particular when it comes to kneeling, we spend too much time talking about the act of kneeling as opposed to why they're actually doing it. And I get it. Like, mm. at least you're talking about it. But like, you know, Myers Leonard, and I know we're going to talk to Mark Spears about this, but like he's still in his, I understand that his 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 approach and his conversation was much more thoughtful in my mind than Jonathan Isaacs, um, but he still kept bringing up the military. And it just continues to, I don't understand how it's any different than Drew Brees. It continues to give people an out. It continues to right away give people the ability to tune out everything else and say, see, he understands what it's about. Like, he is in that locker room. He knows it's disrespectful to the military, which is why he didn't do it. And like, again, I just feel like we just were in this never-ending perpetual cycle of talking about the act of something as opposed to what we can do to assure that these men don't have to kneel anymore. The whole point of Colin Kaepernick doing this was I'm going to kneel until I feel like this country stands for what it represents and we're just we continue years later to just talk about the act and process of kneeling and I just don't know how that's helping you're listening to the intersection on ESPN radio Clinton Yates L Duncan I, I understand that but I think for me mainly because of all the different things we've seen in 2020 I just have to adopt a slightly more optimistic viewpoint of what's effective in order for me to be sane quite frankly l you know i have to believe sure that this is working on some level because of what i've seen and what i feel and you know to be quite honest what i want you know and i don't know that i need in my life for anything i don't want to say more than this to happen but i mean dag this is a lot more that I've seen people listen to black folks about what it is we have to talk about and we need to talk about in any space at all. Yes. If the NBA is doing right by that, L, you know, I know we only got a couple seconds here. I'm with it. I'm here to be part of the right side of history as I see it, as I was taught, as I was raised, you know? And what's going on in the NBA does not strike me as untoward just as a black person off the rip, and that is crucial. It seems like the right thing, and that matters. Coming up. We're going to talk about what white NBA players have done in pushing the message of equality. It's the intersection on ESPN Radio, Clinton Yates and L. Duncan. You're listening to the intersection on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. My name is Clinton Yates. Of course, with me here is L. Duncan. You know your boy from the undefeated, and you know her from SportsCenter. We're both on Around the Horn, too. Joining hey us yo. right now on the Shell Pennzoil performance line is Mark J. Spears of ESPN's The Undefeated. My man is inside the bubble. You want to check out a piece he wrote on white players standing up for social justice? You know, it's not only us. Kyle Korver, J.J. Reddick, and... My man, Alex Caruso from the Los Angeles Lakers, are also participating in this. Spears, number one, how you doing? And number two, what do you think overall in terms of the effectiveness of what's happened in the bubble regarding social justice? Man, I'm doing good. I think a lot of being here for so long is just having the right mentality. You know what I mean? Like, 
hooked up my room. I got my wine fridge. I got my toaster oven. I got my coffee maker. I grind my own beans. I use one of my two sinks to wash dishes. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm making it like home, man. <laughs> you know, and so just uh, I've, I've heard some complaining. I've done some of it, but I, I, I ain't doing that no more. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna embrace the bubble. And uh, in, in terms of the social justice thing, I think it's been amazing from the time we got here. And, and I'm even going before that. Like the Toronto Ra- Raptors showed up in a black bus that said Black Lives Matter. And they drove through a neighborhood that had Trump signs en route to get here. Um, from every practice, uh, from every game, there, there has been emotion. There has been social justice talk. There has been talk about voting. There has been anger. Um, I, I saw Alvin Gentry, and now we're like three weeks in go on a long rant about what happened in Aurora, Colorado to, you know, the black woman and her children, which is just God awful to watch uh, uh, kids being on their stomach on the pavement, handcuffed, like it's just sickening. And, you know, he, he yelled out that it has to stop. And so, but it, it, I don't, what I don't think is going to stop is the social justice movement that the players have. I mean, even with each passing day, they still have social justice stuff on the back of their jerseys. They're still speaking about it. And from what I'm hearing from them, you know, this is going to continue the whole time that they're in the bubble. It's interesting, uh, Mark, because despite the fact that we've, you know, seen them be very vocal about what's important to them and talk about Breonna Taylor and their post-game interviews and whatnot and continue to further the message, after the first week and weekend of the NBA restart, all anybody was talking about who chose to kneel and who did not, uh, namely Jonathan Isaacs, Myers Leonard, Pop decided not to, to kneel as well. Do you think that, that we're starting to create a bit of divisiveness in the locker rooms for those who choose not to participate in the demonstration of kneeling? No, I, I actually think it's presenting conversation. Um, I guess it, it, the beauty's in the eye of the beholder and how they look at it, you know what I mean? And so I, I was in the room when Myers Leonard explained that his brother was a Marine and that he, he talked to uh, a lot of military guys, and he's like, I have not, I'm, I'm for the Black Lives Matter movement. I understand it. I understand what my why my teammates uh, are kneeling, but from talking to Navy SEALs, from talking to my brother, I'm not comfortable doing that because I'm, I'm a patriot, and that's how we look at it. But at the same token, he wore a Black Lives Matter T-shirt. In terms of Greg Popovich, I mean, he got stripes. He... <laughs> He got receipts. He probably got more receipts as much as anybody here. So I'm guessing it, it, it's due to his Air Force background. Um, he, he got too many receipts for me to say anything to him. Jonathan Isaac's situation was certainly a little confusing, and um, he probably got the most, I guess, against him. Um, but ultimately it's his prerogative. It, it's brought out discussion. And if, you know, I'm going to, if I want people to listen to Colin Kaepernick and his, his voice, then I should be able to listen to what these guys have to say, too, if they don't totally agree with it. You're listening to The Intersection on ESPN Radio. Clinton Yates, L. Duncan, we're joined here on the Shell Penzo Performance Line by Mark J. Spears, NBA senior writer for ESPN's The Undefeated. He's inside the bubble. One of the things we've seen, Mark, around the basketball world, not just the NBA world, 
obviously is the situation with the WNBA and Kelly Leffler. Now, I understand that everybody knows that the WNBA has been on the forefront of social justice leadership from a discussion and an action standpoint. How much are you hearing about that in y'all's bubble in terms of how that's not just affecting what other people do, but just in terms of the chatter? You know what I'm saying? What are people saying about what they see the WNBA doing, which is what they do, show up and show out? Uh, I, I, I'll be honest. I haven't heard much about that. Um, that's not to say that it hasn't happened. It just hasn't happened when I've been around. Uh, I think, um, they've been, they got so much going on their own that they haven't been able to, in in my opinion, reach out to what's going on with the WNBA and, and that situation. And, uh, sadly, perhaps a lot of guys may not even really know about it. You know what I mean? Because now that the competitions have started, they they got their own inner bubble where they're trying to get focused and miss, make it. So perhaps us as a media need to do a better job too of, of asking about that situation because there have been talk about Aurora, there have been talk about George Floyd, there have been talk about Breonna Taylor, but in terms of the lady from the WNBA, perhaps they haven't talked about her because they don't, Sometimes it's better not to speak to somebody because you don't want to speak about somebody because you don't want them to get uh, more spotlight than they've already gotten, if that makes sense. Right. Mark, I'm interested. I imagine that something that they have heard is is really something that's been the biggest talker in sports this week, and that is the Pac-12 and now the Big Ten players sort of forming these collective alliances to essentially force their conferences' hands and say, if you don't uh, give into this list of demands that include, of course, more protocols for COVID-19, but also, at least on the Pac-12 side, include some social justice initiatives, we're not going to play. And that's sort of what Kyrie was trying to advocate that the NBA yeah. would do before they restarted the season what do you make of at the amateur level these guys really sort of owning themselves i love it uh, i mean i wish we did that when i was in college um i actually wrote a column when i was at san Jose state in 94 for the school paper about the lack of blacks um coaching in college basketball i wrote about how nolan richardson and john cheney and john thompson all um they 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 sat out a game uh, during the 93-94 season because of the lack of black coaches. And this is, still hasn't changed much, but this is 93-94. And uh, I wrote a comment about I wish how it was a bigger game. I wish it was against Kentucky. I wish it was against UMass. You know, I wish it was, you know, uh, against St. John's. Um, and I also yelled that, you know, every black college basketball player in the country should sit out a game. And... I was registered in that San Jose State. The coach at the time there, a guy named Stan Morrison, didn't like that. Had the black assistant coach talk to me about it, told me I shouldn't be writing about stuff like that, that that was embarrassing to the program. And um, I told him that, you know, uh, that's the one thing I won't do is change what I write. And from that point, I got treated differently and ultimately got pushed off the team. So... That's a convoluted story, probably for even detail for another day. But so I love this. I love the Northwestern guys trying. I wish that would have worked before in terms of these guys having their power. And the SEC kids got power, too. Like, I hope the rest of the country listens to these guys, listens to what they're saying, that that it, it causes a movement across college sports because – 
it doesn't happen without them, right? So right. Um, if you're if you're on the Pac-12 level and you decide to uh, not play because of the pandemic, because of social issues, you're good enough where somebody else will take you if that school doesn't want you anymore. So kudos to uh, those athletes, and hopefully more will follow. All right, Mark, last thing we'll ask you because we're up against it here, so feel free to be short if you like. What do you think overall in terms of just the likelihood that this season ends with the champion in the W? Excuse me, in the NBA? Oh, I think it's going to happen. Um, I, I spoke in length with the, the doctor. There's actually a black doctor that runs this. I'm, I, I don't want to give up one of my stories too much, but that's mm-hmm. running all the um, COVID testing and protocol here. And we're getting tested every day. We're getting, you know, our temperature. We're getting our oxygen. We're in this bubble. It's amazing. It's the greatest science experiment. It might be the safest place on Earth. So, and they, if if somebody does end up getting it, they got a way to slow it down. Um, we're wearing a ring that lets us know if we're starting to get it, and they're keeping track of us. So, I, I think if I I expect there to be an NBA champion. He's Mark Spears. He writes for the Undefeated. He is a fantastic basketball writer and a tremendous enophile. That's how you pronounce that word when it means you like wine. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> hey, real quick, can I say something real quick? Yes, sir. L. Duncan Friday night is hosting <laughs> the National Association of Black Journalists Sports Task Force Party, free to the public. Check out NABJ Sports on YouTube. Um, on Twitch, uh, it's going down. We'll take donations for scholarships, but it's a free party with NBA DJs from the Mavericks, the Warriors, and from the Houston Rockets. Please be there. It's going to be an amazing time. As the young Ew. kids say, it's going to be lit. Oh, no. <laughs> Goodbye, Mark. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> Love you, brother. All right. Later. The Intersection, Clinton Yates, L. Duncan, ESPN Radio. We'll be back. No cap. Once again, R.I.P. Malik B., founding member of The Roots. What a legend. You're listening to The Intersection on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80 as well. My name is Clinton Yates. L. Duncan is, of course, here with me as well. Let's run down who we've had on the program today, L. To start things off, my man Keyshawn Johnson dropped in to talk about the Pac-12 situation. Of course, he's going to be hosting mornings with himself, Zubin, and Jason Williams coming up here on August 17th, I believe, on ESPN Radio. So be sure to check in for that. After that, we had our boy Harry Lyles, ESPN college football reporter, to discuss what's also going on in the matters of college football. He's been on that beat, and he is a young man with a strong back who's out here in these streets talking (laughs) to the actual athletes about what's going on. And, of course, we just talked to Mark Spears, who's in the NBA bubble, having a fine time with his lovely wine collection. That's something he does well. And, you know, told us about what's going on regarding the uh, social justice movements. What did you think of the guests today? Yeah, I thought they were fantastic, um, per usual, because that's what we do. We just bring it and – just keeping in line with what you've continued to say the entire show, they were blackety black black. Is that what you were saying the whole show? <laughs> yes. We're, we're black and not whack. Or what was the tagline exactly? I said, we back and we black. I love That's it. That's what I said. Which means, of course, <laughs> right now it's time for the curriculum. 
Yes, it's a different world from where you come from. So Clinton and L are here to drop knowledge to help you navigate these cultural and social streets. Welcome to the curricula. All right, y'all, for those of you who are not familiar with what this is about, this is where we teach y'all. Y'all always say, what can we learn, L? What can we learn, Clinton? Please teach me. I'm a sponge when I want all of the knowledge. That's a child's voice, y'all, by I the see. way, in case you were wondering. Uh, Don't be trying to get me. Anyway, okay. um, we get a lot of questions, so we figure it's time to start teaching folks. What's first yeah. on the agenda? Dwayne The Rock Johnson leads an investment group buying the XFL. All right, now the reason why this is important is because the XFL was a league that obviously had to shut down for various reasons. However, as a lower league to the NFL that was playing spring football, it was offered up, in my opinion, as sort of a minor league for not just players, L, but coaches. And there's certain cases of guys who, you know, moved up on through the ranks who sort of were looking at that as a way to get back to things. And with Dwayne Johnson, also with Danny Garcia, his former partner, buying this league, now, I know that there's some touch-and-go stuff between who he's buying it from and all that, so we're not exactly in the clear. But here's the thing, El. We always talk about how we don't have enough minority owners just in terms of individual teams as participants in leagues. Dog, if somebody like The Rock and his partner Danny, ex-partner Danny, are actually owning the league, we're talking about a totally different framework for how they might build things back up when they actually get back to action. Listen, I love that, that it was like, we don't have a seat at the table, so just buy the whole damn conference room. I think it's incredible. Yep. Um, and listen, let's frankly, it's a steal. $15 million is really probably a drop in the bucket for The Rock, but in particular for Danny Garcia, uh, representation is important. So for young Latina women, for young women of color to see that she's not only going to be an executive in the XFL, but also an owner uh, is is incredible. And, and uh, no matter the sort of motivation for buying it that alone is big it's huge also because don't think that the rock or Dwayne Johnson pardon me is some sort of a clown you know no. just because you see him in movies and just because you see him on your television doesn't mean that he doesn't know what he's doing number one nope. from a business standpoint number two Dwayne Johnson was a lineman for the yes. Miami Hurricanes a program of impact when they were good this dude knows what the football struggle is about L he ain't just some Johnny come later Correct. They are going to, and listen, and he's a master of promotion. The man can take even a movie no one wants to actually see and somehow make it a big budget thriller. So he's incredible at marketing. He's incredibly likable. And I think that they'll, they certainly need to breathe new life into this league. They're just the people to do it. Quickly, favorite rock movie? Ooh, uh, Walking Tall. I was going to say the same yeah, thing. Yeah, it's is good. fantastic. Yeah, Unity. it's good. All right, what's next, yo? <laughs> The South got something to say. A celebration of Southern rap. Ella, I'm going to let you take this one over, but you know when it comes to us documenting our histories, we go to a lot of different outlets to do so. And recently, NPR came out with a whole collection of what the South got to say, basically just kind of documenting everything that y'all, and I say y'all as in Southerners, have done for the rap game. What'd you think of this? By the way, I know you're from D.C., but that's basically Virginia, which is also the South. Okay. I love that you. All, okay. I love that you all are just so watch yourself uh, <laughs> here. But go on, go on. Well, I think it's important this distinction here too, because when I read the NPR article, like the first thing that jumped out of me was like they started with two live crew, and I think when people think about Miami, they don't think necessarily the South. I think most people think of Southern rap and they think of Outkast in particular because they're the ones that said at the Source Awards, the South got something to say. Um, yep. But yeah, it's finally a celebration. Like I, I feel like. 
even post outcast it became very much about sort of minimizing what the south contributed to the hip-hop game because then it was well it's mumble rap or it's snap music and none of that is real but the point is is that for every single decade since the 80s we have found a way to captivate the music industry with what we have to say so it's about time people gave us our damn due yeah i mean atlanta is the hip-hop capital of the world it is story Sorry. You know, people try to act like, oh, this New York this, the New York that, King of New York. Nobody knows care who the King of New York is in Thank 2020. Thank you. That is not a thing, dog. No. Every and famous I- black person in America has a house in Atlanta for a reason. Correct. You know? Black Hollywood, baby. That's all I'm saying. You know, I mean, also, all, can I also make this distinction? I know New York's going to come after me after this, but if you think <laughs> about it, New York only has one person at a time that pops, right? Like it's Young Correct. M.A. or it's Cardi B. or it's Atlanta just continues to put out rosters, bruh. Just whole entire rosters of people. It's a culture, and that come on. is leading the culture. Last one. The Intersection remembers civil rights icon, John Lewis. I'm going to go first on this one just because I want you to end, L, because this man is from your place in the world mm-hmm. in terms of where he represented. But listen, it's as simple as this. John Lewis, one of the realest ones ever. Think about this man's life. Crossed the bridge, nearly lost his life, carried through the message after his homie got shot in Memphis and he saw a black president come to the White House. He completed the mission in many ways. Admirable human being, incredible American, tremendous civil rights advocate. Now it's time for me to shut up. So when I think about John Lewis on top of what everybody else knows about John Lewis, because you're right, being from Atlanta and in particular being in the media in Atlanta, I hosted a radio show for a long time there. When I think about John Lewis, I think about accessibility, Clinton, like despite the fact that he was this mythical civil rights figure, despite the fact that he was a politician, he had a job, you guys, right? Like he was in the House of Representatives. He was always accessible to the people. Like if we called him for something so small, like a back to school drive where maybe 100 people were coming so kids could pick up backpacks he would be there no matter what the community needed or when they needed him he always found a way to come through and it was like he would just he had this presence and he had this thing in Atlanta where like when he came everyone would get quiet and he was just this bigger than life man that was so incredibly reachable and I think that's what so uh is going to be missed I know in my hometown but just in general what an incredible life he lived Incredible life he lived. You can say what you want about what should be named after whom and what should be named after somebody else. But the bottom line is he did the work. Rest in peace, John Lewis. Coming up, Freddie and Fitzsimmons. You've been listening to The Intersection on ESPN Radio. I'm Clinton Yates. She's L. Duncan. Have an excellent weekend, kiddos. Bye.